Father God, we we again come humbled by not only the circumstances of life, but also the realization, as we've read your word, that we are in the very center of your will and your work, even though the times are dark, even though the world is dead in trespasses and sins and uh, rebellion seems to be mounting all the way around us. Father, we thank you that you told us your work and it's your pleasure to, to bring us through these times with a song to sing, with hopefulness, with a new life that is not only worth living today, but it has eternal benefits. So, Father, these things are so much a blessing to us, so much on our minds and in our hearts. Your grace is so precious, so wonderful. What the Lord has accomplished for us all through his death on Calvary's cross and then uh, having paid fully the penalty for our sins, gloriously resurrected from the dead. Father, I thank you for him and what he has accomplished. And we thank you for the flow of blessings that have come to us through him. We're thankful, Father, that uh, you are working all things together for our good, according to your perfect will. I thank you for each one that's gathered here this morning, Father, and uh, for this technology that's working well, and I pray that it would continue to do so. Father, there are many in our nation who have not in their hearts been open. They've been rebellious uh, to your truth. We ourselves were the same, uh, but have been brought around by uh, just this amazing work that you've done on our behalf. And uh, and how you've worked in each of our lives individually is something we shall never forget, Father. In fact, I believe it will just be memorialized for all eternity as we give testimony without end concerning your care for us, even when we didn't know you, Father. Thank you for working into our hearts the blessings of faith and, and then blessing us with every spiritual blessing. Father, thank you for each one who's here, and though though we bear many burdens, uh, still living here in this world, but not being of it. Father, I, I just pray that you would encourage each one. There's so many that have suffered greatly, but there's some thanksgivings, Father, and in fact, many, many, if we would just stop to consider them. Uh, each one here can praise you and thank you, Father, and they do, and uh what a blessing that is. We're thankful that we can be together today here on this uh, this meeting through Skype. So, Father, thank you so much. Thank you for our nation, uh, for our leaders who do stand for you and for truth and true justice. And I pray, Father, that they would be encouraged, protected, strengthened, and successful in guiding and leading this nation and that the many enemies of those things that we value so highly that they would be uh, set aside in due time. Thank you for our meeting today, and uh, please uh, bless us through your word. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, well, we 
I hope we'll be able today to uh, finish up this section of teaching on the rapture, on the catching up of the body of Christ. So uh, unless uh, the plan needs to be changed, this will be our final session on that particular subject. This has all been part of uh, a pretty long uh, time of teaching on Paul's unique revelation concerning the church, the body of Christ, and the dispensation of the grace of God, and how different that all is from what's revealed through prophecy. Paul calls his revelation the mystery to distinguish it from that which had been revealed before through prophecy. Of course, mystery is a word that refers to a secret, something kept secret until it's finally revealed. And once it is revealed, it can then be understood and should be understood by, in this case, we're talking about, of course, revelation of God for the saints of God. So that revelation through Paul should be understood by the saints, and it is our opportunity uh, through that word that's been preserved to study and through the Holy Spirit's uh, work in us to give us understanding. So I pray that that would be the case today as we continue our studies here regarding the mystery. Now, I want to make a statement right at the beginning here, which uh, should uh, summarize and sort of underscore everything that I say today. We've already seen, as we've looked at Paul's revelation concerning the catching up or the uh, what we call the rapture, that word isn't found in Scripture, but the, the catching up into heaven's glory, which is, has been promised for us saints who are members of Christ's body. We've already seen, as we've looked into a number of scriptures, uh, especially in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and in 1 Thessalonians chapters 4 and 5. And what have we seen there? But there's a, that there's a big difference in the character of the times that have been revealed. Paul's whole argument regarding the catching up and uh, his encouragement based upon that teaching, is it's all based on, on, on that one point. Uh, he over and over says uh, things about our current time, this dispensation we're living in now, and contrasts it with the time that will follow. So the character of the times uh, differ greatly. Uh, the times we're living in today are manifested uh, by his abundant grace. That is not the case in the times that will follow uh, this dispensation. So once the rapture has occurred, once uh, believers are caught up into heaven's glory, God will again refocus on Israel and uh, upon the prophetic uh, um, fulfillment of many scriptures that have gone before. And those scriptures were, were revealed through the prophets all the way back to uh, uh, the times of Abraham, uh, and then Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 tribes, and finally Moses, then David, and then the prophets. Uh, and then ultimately, in due time, our Lord Jesus Christ, who ministered uh, in his earth, earthly ministry for over three years, uh, primarily teaching the 12 apostles, but also, of course, uh, all those that would 
would uh, gather and, and, and listen to his teaching. So uh, in all of that revelation, uh, everything points forward to how God will fulfill his promises someday for Israel. And that will happen uh, through a time of great trial and tribulation uh, and uh, called the time of Jacob's trouble. And then uh, after that, there will be the, the second return of Christ to this earth and the establishing of the kingdom. That kingdom will last 1,000 years. So uh, all of that revelation points forward to when God will again uh, visit Israel and finally uh, bring to them the blessings that were promised. Of course, Christ came the first time to Israel and was rejected. And we have already considered that in some detail here in these meetings and in these teachings. Um, he was rejected. He was delivered to the cross to be crucified by the Romans, but death could not hold him. The grave could not imprison him. And so then he was gloriously raised from the dead. The kingdom was offered to Israel. We saw that in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 3. And eventually, when the leaders of, the, uh, of Israel again uh, finished off their, their rejection of the Lord, Stephen was, uh, was martyred with a uh, man named Saul, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, bringing the official charge. And so that was the uh, the end of that period of time, and God began the new program under grace. So what we've been looking at now is what Paul has revealed concerning the rapture, the catching up of the body of Christ, uh, and how the character of the times are different between today and what will then occur after that event has taken place. And Paul writes of that in these different places. We've already looked into this in some detail. I'm not going to review all of that with you, except to say just a few things, just so you have clearly in mind what you've already learned here as we've studied God's Word. Um, where did we look? We looked in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 first, and there, in verses 50 through 54, Paul reveals what's distinctive and different about this dispensation we're living in today, right? Uh, and how this period of time will end, how this work of God under grace will be brought to a conclusion, right? And he uses the word mystery there in reference to that. 1 Corinthians 15, he says in verse 50, in verses 50 and 51, one of the key verses there says, This I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. The old, I'm showing you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And then he goes on there to uh, write more concerning the catching up to meet Christ in the air. And then uh, the time uh, well, <laughs> eternity that will follow after that, right, when we're caught up into heaven's glory. So what Paul reveals there is something quite different than what had been revealed through prophecy, and that's why he uses the word mystery to distinguish it. Uh, 
from that that had been revealed before for Israel. And what, what he points out there is that there will be an event. It's yet future for us today. Uh, and at that point, we will inherit the promises that have been made to us. And uh, those promises are heavenly in nature and cannot be fulfilled until we're caught up into heaven's glory. This is not a, an earthly promise, an earthly inheritance that's been given to us. It's never said to be so. Uh, it's heavenly in its nature, and we will find the fulfillment of those promises uh, at the point where we are caught up into heaven's glory. But because of that, because of the heavenly nature of it, uh, all of us who are alive at the time of the rapture will find our bodies transformed. Our bodies will be changed. Uh, and so what he says here very clearly in 1 Corinthians 15 is that uh, for us who are members of the body that have the heavenly hope, we cannot receive that inheritance. We cannot receive that heavenly hope fully until our bodies are transformed. And therefore, not only those that have already died, who of course will be resurrected at that time and receive this transformed body, but also all those who are living at the time of the rapture will also have our bodies changed accordingly. So we'll receive a resurrection body, just like those that have died, when Christ calls us up to meet him in the air and then uh, takes us on into heaven to receive the fullness of our uh, rewards. Okay, so so that's uh, unique. It's unique for us today, and that's exactly what he says right there. Uh, no Jew had that hope. They, they had an earthly hope that God would fulfill uh, those hopes in the earthly kingdom when their Messiah came uh, to bring full blessing to them, as had been promised so often by the prophets. So the Jew had one kind of hope. Uh, we have quite a different kind of hope. That's very clearly revealed in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, does that imply, therefore, that the rapture will occur before the tribulation begins upon this earth? Yes, it does, right? It implies that. It doesn't state it in terms of a timeline, except by implication, but it is very clearly revealed there. Okay, so understanding the mystery gives us then the understanding we need regarding the times and the seasons and so forth and so on, right? Now, Paul goes on to make that very clear in other places, too. We looked at uh, his revelation in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you'll remember. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we have uh, a promise that uh, when the rapture occurs when we're called up into uh, the air to meet Christ. Those that have already died, who died as members of the body of Christ, they will first be resurrected, even before we, who are still alive, are called up into heaven's glory. So there's a time sequence revealed there. <clears throat> Resurrection of those that have died first who are members of the body of Christ, then we who are alive will be uh, transformed and will meet them all in the air and 
together with the Lord, we shall be then caught up into heaven's glory. That's what he says explicitly in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Nothing could be clearer than that, right? So is there a timeline implied here regarding uh, our catching up uh, into glory uh, to receive our inheritance versus uh, the Jews who will live later? Well, the Im implication is there, but it's not stated explicitly. There's no actual timeline between our days and those days revealed there in First Thessalonians 4. Um However, when we go into the next chapter, as we did last time, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, okay, uh, when we go into that chapter, we do see uh, the timeline much more clearly stated. Okay, so uh, what does it say there? I'll just give you a quick review of what we saw last time as we looked in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Um, what we find there is uh, a statement concerning, first of all, in verse 1 of chapter 5, concerning the times and the seasons. And what Paul says is that I don't have any reason, really, no inherent need to teach you concerning the times and the seasons uh, for a number of reasons, but one of them is that I already taught you about this perfectly, right? <laughs> and that's what he says in the next verse. He says, of the times and seasons, you have no need that I write unto you for yourselves. Know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. So they already had been taught directly by Paul regarding this. The problem is that false teachers had come into the churches after Paul left town and taught them quite otherwise than Paul had taught them. Now, I'd like to, to say something. I don't believe I've said it often here before, but it will help you understand what was happening. When, when Paul, in his missionary journeys, went city to city and, and uh, preached, concerning Christ, his death, or our sins, his burial, his glorious resurrection, and the perfect salvation salvation available by grace through faith alone. When he did that, he went city to city and preached, right? But but the, we might, might make an assumption, which would be false, that somehow in all those places they had the Bible, and they were reading the Bible, and they could understand what had been written, right? Well, the fact is, uh, the only scriptures that were available were scrolls in the synagogues, right? If they were wealthy enough as a synagogue to even possess scrolls, and those scrolls possessed the Hebrew language revelation that had been given to Israel down through the years. Uh, so that's what was available, okay? But Paul comes to town, and he's preaching independently of that, and he's revealing things that had not been revealed before because he is giving out the truth concerning the mystery, concerning the body of Christ, concerning salvation by grace through faith alone, based upon 
the finished work of Christ on Calvary's cross for sin and sinners, right? So that's what Paul's preaching. That's not found in those prophetic writings. So it, it's not as if um, those believers that uh, believed what Paul taught had those other scriptures. If they did, they were Jews who had come to believe, who knew something of prophecy, right? But when Paul goes out to the Gentiles, which in every case happened, he preached in the synagogues to Jews first, and then he left and he went out and preached to the Gentiles. Those Gentiles didn't have that other revelation. All they had was what Paul gave them. So when Paul preached, he preached without that background uh, available. They couldn't go to the library shelf, pick off the Bible and read and learn what had been promised to Israel. They knew what had been promised to them because Paul had just been teaching that to them. However, as time passed, uh, uh, there were scriptures written in Greek, okay? And we had the, uh, the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, were written in those days, right? And uh, and so uh, over time, these Greek scriptures uh, were circulated around, and now you had uh, the Greek scriptures, which recorded Christ's own earthly ministry, okay, uh, in great detail. And so uh, believers could... If they, if they had access to those scriptures, learn what Christ had taught regarding the church, the body of Christ? No, regarding Israel and its hope, its earthly hope, and what was yet to come. In fact, mostly what, what Christ did was to teach concerning the coming time of trial on the nation of Israel, and eventually how after seven years of, of uh, great trial, uh, God would... Uh, bring him back to this earth to establish the kingdom, right? Which would then fulfill the hope uh, for those Jews right here on this earth. So th those scriptures were available in Greek. And so false teachers then went about starting from Jerusalem and going out. We read about that uh, in Paul's letters to the, uh, to the Galatians and elsewhere. And also in the book of Acts, right? And these false teachers went forth not teaching what Paul had taught for the church, the body of Christ, but teaching what God had revealed through the Lord himself and then through the prophets, right, concerning Israel and Israel's hope, confusing everything. And so they directly contradicted Paul in these teachings. And it's no wonder then that Paul would then have to uh, try to recorrect, reteach uh, those that had already learned the truth of grace, because now they're being led astray by false teachers. And that's why most all of Paul's letters uh, address false teachings. The false teachers were very insistent. They were going everywhere and uh, teaching a very Jewish perspective on, on what it means to be a believer, right? Confusing the saints of God, confusing the members of the body of Christ greatly. And that's why Paul writes the way he does. So here in First Thessalonians chapter 5, going back now to where we were 
for last time. He says, of the times and seasons, you have no need that I write unto you, because I've already told you that you're not going to be in the day of the Lord, so you don't need to be concerned about what had been taught before, right? <clears throat> now, what had been taught before was that believers needed to endure to the end to be saved. They needed to endure the tribulation period, not compromise, uh, not not uh, ultimately accept the greatest uh, uh, error of all, which would be to accept the mark of the beast, right? Because all those that accept the mark of the beast at that time are lost. None of them can be saved, right? So that's the ultimate proof that one is an unbeliever in the tribulation period, right? But these false teachers have been teaching that these Gentile saints now who are members of the body of Christ would, would themselves also be in that period of time in the tribulation and would have to live under the terms and conditions that had been revealed in prophecy uh, and by our Lord in his earthly ministry for the Jews, right? And so everything uh, was confused. Paul had to now reteach, reclarify, reinstruct. And how can he do that other than the way he does here? He says here in 1 Thessalonians 5, you are not in that darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You remember the Lord had taught about uh, the Lord coming uh, as a thief in the night, right? And that the believers had to be watching and waiting for the signs of the times so that they could respond accordingly. And he, he taught in parables as well. You remember the parable of the ten virgins, right? And so uh, what Paul says here is that you're not in those times. You're not living in that day, uh, or rather, which was going to be night indeed, right? Right. So the issue isn't going to be whether you're watching for the signs and waiting and so forth, waiting to... Uh, obediently follow the principles that have been laid down. That's not uh, something for you. That's for a different dispensational framework of time, right? That's for the Jews living, living in the tribulation period. It's not for you, he says, who are of the day. And he says, in fact, to summarize that teaching, in verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. And then he exhorts them. He says, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Okay, so what I showed you last time is how the King James translators um, are not always that good in translating the Greek language. Uh, and this is one of the places where we see that very clearly. They translated these words, wake or sleep there, in verse 10, uh, allowing one to think that he's talking about two, two different groups of individuals. Uh, one who is sleeping, meaning in death, right? Because in chapter 4, he used the word sleep, referring to those who had died already, right? Uh, and then the other group being those who are still alive. 
when the Lord comes, right? But that's not what Paul is talking about here. He says, and he uses different Greek words to illustrate that, and I showed you last time more about that. Uh, and you can go online and read the notes from last uh, our last lesson and see that clearly uh, delineated there in the, in the notes. Um, so really what one should do is to translate this more appropriately, and that would be uh, done in this way. Uh, he says, you do not need to be concerned. Uh, you're not living in the tribulation period because Christ died for us, right? So that whether, and this is verse 10, so that in First Thessalonians 5, so that whether we are, are awake, meaning actively watching, or, or we're sleeping, meaning we're distracted and not actively watching, we should and shall live together with him, okay? So it has nothing to do with being living or dead. It has everything to do with whether you're watching and waiting for the signs of the times and and acting accordingly or not, right? So what Paul is doing is actually speaking directly contrary to what the Lord had revealed for the Jews who would be living in the tribulation period. He's actually contradicting the Lord, but not in an absolute sense because he's not, the Lord was, was speaking about the Jews who would be living at that time. What he said was true entirely for them, right? What Paul is doing is revealing what's true for us today. The conditions are different because we're living in a different time period, and the work of God is entirely different today than it was then. We're talking about how God is manifesting the fullness of his grace today, which he was not doing uh, previously and will not even do in the tribulation period, right? If he were, they would not have to endure to the end to be saved, right? And they would not have to be watching for the signs of the times. And that's what Paul teaches here very, very boldly. So the bottom line is uh, we need to take note of the character of the times that are being uh, discussed here in these passages. Um, if we do, we'll see the the, the, the clear teaching that uh, Believers today are not ever going to live in the tribulation period because we're going to be caught up into heaven's glory before that time can begin. The times are different. The character of the times are so different. You cannot mix the two up together without having gross confusion. And that's exactly what the false teachers were causing uh, the believers in Paul's day as they went from church to church after he left and taught them uh, in ways that were contrary to what he had taught. Now, now, what I would like to do is to see what Paul reveals in the next letter he writes to the Thessalonians. And this is in chapter 2. We'll skip over chapter 1. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul in some ways, is even bolder than ever before in the other letters. Uh, in other ways, he's quite repetitive, uh, speaking of the same uh, things exactly that he had before. In other words, how the character of the times are entirely different uh, for those living under grace 
as opposed to live, those living under kingdom law or the promise of it. And so let's look at that in Second Thessalonians 2. And uh, to begin with, just the first two verses set the, set the stage here. Patty, would you please read uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Okay, thank you, honey. <clears throat> Excuse me to clear my voice here. <clears throat> well, let's unpack these verses just a little bit here. Um, we won't spend much time on this first section, but uh, what Paul is doing here is exhorting. But notice the nature of his exhortation. It's very interesting. It, it's similar to what you find in First Thessalonians, though. Uh, where he exhorts in the same way. Here, what he does, he exhorts by virtue of the promised coming of the Lord. You see, the essence of his exhortation is that you already know, because I've already revealed to you, that we're going to be raptured before uh, the tribulation begins. <laughs> okay? So, therefore, he can exhort them by virtue of that truth that the Lord is coming for them. That's the next thing on the calendar for them. It's the coming of the Lord, okay? Not the tribulation period. So there's nothing about the signs and wonders of the tribulation period that they need to be taken note of because they're not living in that time. That's the essence of this exhortation. Now, when you see this, everything becomes crystal clear uh, that we are not ever going to live in the tribulation period. And you can be exhorted, and I, I exhort myself and also all of you, uh, that we will soon, uh, perhaps uh, we will die first, but if not, we will soon hear the voice and the call and the shout as we're caught up into heaven's glory. That's the next thing on the calendar for us, according to the revelation of the Apostle Paul. Okay, so he says, I beseech you by the coming of the Lord and by our gathering together unto him. So don't be concerned. If you have a letter from a false teacher, don't pay any attention to it. <laughs> Those false teachers are going to tell you that, that the day of Christ is at hand. Don't believe them, right? By the way, today there are a lot of false teachers who are saying exactly that, right? And telling us to look for the times uh, and of the seasons, the times and, and uh, miracles are not uh, going to be from the Lord, in other words, today, but they're from the enemy, okay? Okay, so let's go on, though. The next section, um, he will continue to give details that are absolutely crucial. And in fact, verse 3 of Second Thessalonians chapter 2 is the most crucial of all. Uh, so what he's doing is to explain now what he just said concerning uh, how the next event is the rapture, right? So what does he say here? Lisa, would you please read for us uh, verses 3 through 5 of Second Thessalonians chapter 2? Yes. 
Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? Okay, thank you. Okay, so uh, what what is Paul doing here? He's saying, well, you're not living in that time, and, and the, the sheer proof of that is none of these events have occurred, right? Uh, they haven't occurred because they will occur in the tribulation period. You live in the dispensation of the grace of God. Um, <laughs> so if somebody says, if some false teacher comes and says, no, you're now living in, 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 in the day of Christ, it's at hand, and you need to be looking for these signs. Well, the greatest sign of all is mentioned right here. You know, you haven't seen this. And you're not going to see it because the times and the seasons are different, okay? But but he says something else here, which is very, very interesting, which establishes the time sequence here between the dispensation we're living in now, the rapture, which will be the final point of this dispensation, and then the beginning of the tribulation period. Okay, he says something right here in verse 3 about that. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, let's skip the rest of the verses there because the, 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 uh, the emphasis here is on that first verse. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not, what day? The day of Christ. It shall not come, the day of the Lord, it shall not come until there's a falling away first. Okay? A falling away first. Then that man of sin will be revealed. In other words, Antichrist can be revealed after that's happened. Okay? After the falling away. So the key question is, what does he mean by these words, falling away? This is the absolutely fundamental and critical question, right? So many are saying the falling away is uh, some kind of doctrinal heresy or spiritual apostasy, okay? And the reason they say this is because... Uh, the word, the Greek word translated falling away there is this word apostasia, the Greek word apostasia. And so many would say uh, they're not dispensational, they don't rightly divide uh, in most cases, but they would say that it is a doctrinal apostasy which Paul is referring to here, right? As if somehow we're to look for these apostasies and when we see them, will know we're in that period of time, therefore, uh, which will uh, lead directly to the second coming of Christ. In other words, there is no dispensational distinction. Church, the body of Christ, uh, will not be raptured until the second coming, according to that view, right? Uh, so is that what is intended here? Well, no, it is not. 
Okay, this word translated uh, uh, falling away is, is in fact the Greek word apostasia, but that's just to take the Greek letters and trans put them into the English and then to make the assumption that somehow he's talking about doctrinal error here, when that's not what he's talking about at all. Okay, the word apostasia literally means a separation from or a departure from, okay? The object is to be identified in the context. In other words, the separation is from what, the departure is from what. The context will reveal what it is. In fact, the same word is used in uh, a number of places of a marriage separation, <laughs> okay? And, in fact, of divorce. The same word is used. Well, there's no uh, heresy involved or, or doctrinal failure in the case of a divorce. Uh, that kind of separation has nothing to do with uh, this teaching. Uh, okay, so if, if back there in Matthew or Mark, when divorce is referred, Referred to, uh, it had been translated a, a, an apostasy. <laughs> uh, you would have been totally confused, right? In fact, uh, in the King James in Acts 21, that very word apostasy is translated uh, forsake, and there it's referring to Moses. Okay, forsaking Moses. That's the way it's translated in Acts 21. 21. It's not translated apostasy there. In other words, the King James translators translated it correctly, right? In a proper way. And so back in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 2, where we are now, uh, they translated a falling away. But, but, but let me just say this, that we shouldn't assume that he's talking about a doctrinal falling away or an apostasy, as our English word would indicate, because that's not what this context indicates here, right? In fact, what Paul is saying is that there's going to be a great departure first. A great departure first. And then, after the departure the man of sin will be revealed. Now, all of a sudden, everything falls into place here. You see, what Paul is saying is that the rapture will occur and must occur before the tribulation period can begin. Okay, that's, that's the whole meaning here in this section. And it's a beautiful teaching. It's a wonderful teaching when we see uh, exactly what Paul is writing. Okay, let's let's go on, and we see that he makes this even clearer as he continues in the next few verses. So, Kathleen, would you please read for us verses six and seven of Second Thessalonians chapter two? Sure. And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work; only who he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Thank you, Kathleen. Well, 
I love the I love the King James, and I use it all the time. But it's sad that they've translated here the way they have, and uh, because the word let <laughs> seems to be just the opposite uh, of of what it should be, because let means to allow something to happen, whereas this Greek word means to prevent it from happening. <laughs> okay, it's just the reverse. Uh, and in fact, the Greek word translated let there in verse 7 is the same word translated withholdeth in the previous verse. So so really, if you wanted to be quite accurate here, you'd say, and now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity already is working, only he who is now holding back will withhold or hold back until he's taken out of the way <laughs> same Greek word all three places okay okay well when you see that you easily see that what Paul is doing is expanding on what he's just taught in the previous few verses right um, but here's the amazing thing he mentioned he uses the word mystery here because what he's doing is saying there's a form of iniquity or lawlessness already working that's what he says there. it's already working only the man of lawlessness hasn't been revealed yet. He's going to, in the next few verses, mention that, right? The man of lawlessness hasn't been revealed yet because he cannot be revealed until the tribulation period, right? Prophecy makes that very clear, okay? However, he is already working today in our, our own day, okay? But he's holding back, you see. Because the full manifestation will re, will, will await until until what? Well, until the rapture has happened, we're out of the way. God has turned back to Israel, and now everything is going to move ahead step by step until the second coming of Christ, uh, uh, right? And the man of sin will be revealed, and that's exactly what he says here. So what Paul is doing is going on to explain further. Uh, uh, that what's happening today will have to stop. And then once it does, once it's over with, then prophecy will be fulfilled. So that's exactly what Paul is teaching here. And he reveals this special kind of lawlessness that's at work today, which is a very, very powerful, powerful thing indeed. And it's working today, but it's being restrained, you see compared to what will happen in the tribulation period when it comes out in the open and is fully displayed. And that's the whole teaching that Paul gives here. So it's only when the restraint on this lawlessness is removed that the man of lawlessness or the man of sin can be revealed in the tribulation period. So you see, again, uh, the church must be taken out of the way. The whole character of our times are, is different from what it will be then and uh, this this time this period of grace must end before therefore the tribulation can begin it's the whole point of what's taught here let's finish up here Linda uh, what what Paul is going to now do is to uh, kind of wrap it up he's going <laughs> to finish the argument uh, here as he reveals uh, 
in uh, the next verses, verses 8 through 12. Linda? And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with whom all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they, should, that they all might be damned, who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Ah, yes, thank you, Linda. So you see what, what it's going to be like on earth after the rapture. It's going to be a terrible, terrible time indeed. In fact, those that have failed to believe the gospel of grace in this time in which we're living will not even be able to believe then. It would be too late. It says, they will be damned because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved, right? Okay, so when the rapture occurs, uh, there will be a period of great trial that comes upon this earth. And all those that were alive and not caught up in the rapture, right, will go into the tribulation period and they will be blinded. They will not believe them. Uh, those that are saved in the tribulation period are those that have not heard the gospel of the grace of God and refused it. Okay, so that's how Paul finishes the argument there, and then he gives this great exhortation, which I'll read here for you in verse 13. We're bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto we called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and then in verse 17, comfort your hearts and establish you. May God comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work because, right, he's loved us, verse 16, and given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace <laughs> isn't grace wonderful well that finishes our teaching on the rapture paul clearly reveals what the time sequence will be in these various ways so i hope this uh, teaching has been a great benefit to you any uh, comments or questions before we close today? Uh, Jim, um, I have a question for you. Go ahead, Lisa. Um, are there any signs or physical um, manifestations that we can see today that would be leading up to the rapture? Like take, for instance, um, online, you obviously see lots of people that, claim to be having dreams and visions or we see um, uh, the different nations gathering on Israel's border. Um, there would be people that would say that uh, Ezekiel 36 is, is, uh, is, is coming or Isaiah 17:1, the burden of Damascus. Are those, those things are according to prophecy, but are, is there anything for us to watch for or are there no signs for us at all? No signs for us at all. 
Either they were already fulfilled in Israel's history, right? Because they're written hundreds and hundreds of years before uh, the coming of the Lord the first time, right? Or they'll be fulfilled in the tribulation period. Um, okay. That's when the nations gather against uh, uh, God's holy nation, which will be established again. So no signs uh, today, uh, I'm happy to say, because if there were, then there'd be great confusion here in the revelation of the Apostle Paul. We'd be not able to understand it. Uh, and in fact, I, I do think uh, there'd be a great break in, in God's revelation to man because uh, in fact, Paul would be teaching things that aren't true. Because the signs and the wonders uh, go with the signs of the times and that's not for us today. That's for the tribulation period, according to the Apostle Paul. So those things may be fulfilled, but it will be after the rapture of the church. Well, there many things will, yeah, the, the remaining prophecies will be fulfilled. Right. Also, though, some of the prophecies even point to the end of the millennial kingdom. So even in the tribulation, they're not all going to be fulfilled. I see. Okay. Very good. Thank you, Jim. You're welcome. Any other questions or comments? Okay, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for gathering us today, and uh, thank you for the Apostle Paul who has just opened our eyes and hearts, Father, to understand the Scripture. Thank you so much that uh, that he's been given this understanding and then that he was willing and obedient to live the life he lived as an example to us of your abundant grace and also as as your your vehicle for putting down into sacred scripture these teachings concerning the body of Christ and the abundance of grace today. So, Father, thank you so much. May we uh, be uh, further taught in our understanding as we open your scripture and compare the scriptures uh, and the word of God, uh, uh, one with, with another, uh, rightly dividing it. I pray, Father, that, that you would continue to build us up, and may our hope be based upon uh, the revelation of your grace and not on kingdom principles that don't apply. And, Father, I pray that we would be strong and that we would enjoy you and your work because you're working all things together for our good and our glory. So. Father, thank you again uh, for our gathering today and all those that you've uh, gathered together with us. Thank you for uh, bringing Kathleen into our midst today and for blessing us together in such a wonderful way. And Father, we would thank you in Christ's name. Amen.